a, a waveform and a capability that stretches seamlessly across terrestrial and non-terrestrial or satellite networks, okay? And so we're seeing a convergence of space and terrestrial. We're seeing a convergence of, of I believe, satellite uh, communications ecosystems and electro-optical geospatial communication systems. These used to be completely different ecosystems. From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink, a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Hello again, Downlink listeners. This week, we have a discussion with Ken Peterman. He's been in the satellite communications business for four decades, and he's worked for and led some of the better-known companies that deliver communication and data delivery services to U.S. and allied militaries, emergency services, and others. Ken is now Comtech's board chair, president, and CEO. The company is publicly traded and has contracts with the U.S. Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, and the U.S. Space Force, as well as the Space Development. Agency. Just a few weeks ago, Comtech won a $30 million contract to support the Army's tactical communications. But this coming week, on August 10th, Ken will be marking one year since he took over as Comtech's president and CEO. I wanted to get his take on what's next for satellite communications for government and non-government users alike, and is Comtech going to join the lunar economy? And why does he call himself an Imagineer? Here's our conversation. Hello, Ken. Welcome to the Downlink Podcast. Hi, Laura. It's great to spend some time with you today. Ken, you are the chairman, president, and CEO of Comtech, and those are some very serious titles. But I'd like the audience to have a chance to get to know you. Like, where are you from? How did you get into space? And aren't you an engineer? Yeah, I am, actually. Uh, it's an interesting, probably, at least it's an interesting story for me. But uh, I'm just a rural kid from the Midwest. I grew up in Indiana. As many people know, Indiana is a basketball state. And uh, uh, both my father and my grandfather were basketball coaches. My my grandfather coached high school basketball and my my dad coached college basketball. My my dad, though, had an interesting combination because he was not just a college basketball coach. And I think at one time, uh, maybe the fifth winningest small college basketball coach in, in history. So he was had some notoriety. He was also a physics professor. So here you have this uh, basketball coach physics professor combination, which so that's the house I grew up in. And uh, uh, and I uh, uh, went to university, played played a little basketball for my dad, also graduated with an engineering degree. And uh, 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 and it was that was interesting because when I took the engineering classes to become an engineer, uh, nobody in my family was an engineer. I had I didn't know an engineer. I didn't know what engineers did for a living day to day. So I I uh, just uh, went down this path uh, into for me what was the unknown, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then of course I worked in engineering and technology. Uh, you know I, I went into the uh, uh, aerospace and defense market because I came out of college in 1979, and boy the 80s was. You know, that, that was where everything cool was happening in terms of technology. We we're inventing satellite communications. We we're inventing GPS, global positioning systems. We we're inventing cybersecurity, mobile networking. All of these things were being born 
uh, in the defense industrial base with the power of the public purse because then a taxpayer was funding this. And, and, uh, and so that was a fantastic place to be. So that's kind of my background. Uh, uh, and I've observed enormous change over the last 43 years in the aerospace defense market and, 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 and contributed a, a small piece here and there. Didn't you actually work on GPS as well? That's something that I think I read. <laughs> I started out. Uh, I started out working on uh, satellite communications. I worked on HF communications. Uh, I did work on positioning, global positioning stuff, uh, uh, and in cybersecurity. But remember that uh, these definitions have evolved a lot over the last forty or fifty years. Uh, when we talk about uh, satellite communications today, it, it conjures up uh, images of new space with with Leo constellations and the thousands of satellites and and hybrid networks of of Leo, Mio, and Geo connecting together and things like that. And, and uh, remember that uh, when I started, there was no such thing as a mobile phone. Uh, uh, you know, there, there was uh, didn't didn't exist. And I, I remember early in my life having a satchel phone which had a battery life of about four hours unless you talked over it. And then the battery life was about 20 minutes. But uh, the world's changed a lot. I still has made a pretty good brick and, you know, a good doorstop, right? <laughs> I remember those. Anyhow, you know, you have been delivering, you know, communication services to U.S. and allied militaries and using assets in orbit and on the ground with Hughes, Raytheon, Viasat, to just name a few, for, as you said, over 40 years. But this coming week, it will have been one year since you assumed the reins of Comtech as president and CEO. Tell us a little bit about Comtech, its history, what it does, where it does it, and its people. Well, Comtech has a has a deep uh, history uh, uh, of technology leadership, uh, uh, probably a 55-year history. I think we've been a publicly traded company now for about 35 years. We celebrated our 35th anniversary in January of uh, this year, about 10 months ago, 11 months ago. Uh, and in fact, I had the, uh, the, the privilege of ringing the bell, uh, the closing bell on the NASDAQ in New York City. Uh, and I did that with my daughter at my side. Uh, it happened that we did that on January 23rd and January 22nd was my birthday. So we rang the closing bell on a Monday and my daughter and I spent the weekend in New York City celebrating uh, uh, my birthday. And it was a very, it was a wonderful experience. But uh, Comtech has a has a deep, deep, rich history. Uh, uh, it's a company largely uh, uh, of acquisition. Uh, so we have a significant footprint. We have 14 major facilities uh, in North America. Uh, we have employees in 40 of 50 states. Uh, we operate in in really two different domains, and these were this is something that we probably should spend some time on later because these used to be independent ecosystems, and and now that's all changing. Uh, but uh, uh, Comtech is a, a leader uh, in space technology, satellite and space technology. We build uh, uh, and design uh, everything that essentially makes up the ground uh, terminal or the ground hub. Uh, we build modems, amplifiers, block up down converters, channelizers, antennas. Uh, and we do it uh, across the uh, uh, all of the space uh, uh, ecosystems: Leo, uh, Mio, and Geo, low Earth orbit, medium Earth orbit, as well as geosynchronous orbit satellites. We have satellite equipment fielded in over 200 companies. We have a a, a large number of patents and intellectual property uh, where we demonstrate that we've led the way uh, in 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 uh, uh, forging uh, satellite and space communications across these last 30 or 40 years. So that is a major part of our business. Uh, and then the other, say, 50% of our business uh, is in terrestrial networks, 
uh, specifically uh, in, in public service verticals like uh, Next Generation 911, uh, where we, we handle the entirety of the calling uh, workflow. So we identify a 911 call. Uh, we uh, handle that call by routing it to the appropriate public service answering point, or PSAP, uh, that is geographically uh, in the right area. Uh, and then uh, uh, we actually service the call. We outfit the PSAP. Uh, and you can think of that as an operation center with many humans uh, sitting behind computer screens. Uh, and what we do is we outfit that entire PSAP with all of the uh, IT equipment, the computers, with the software, and all of that, so that when a operator is taking a call or handling a call, uh, they can see on, on, a, on a collection of computer screens ahead of them, uh, they can see uh, the caller, the geolocation uh, of the caller. They can see the location of police cars, fire cars, hospitals, other things that may be in the first responder uh, uh, opportunity list. Uh, and then we're able to even to, to inject additional data like earth observation, geospatial imagery. We're able to do 3D models so they can, so they can actually, and we're moving toward uh, actually providing augmented reality where they can project themselves at the doorstep of the, of the uh, location of where the 911 caller might be so that they can really provide, it, it, it really use that insight to provide and, and surface that call as effectively uh, as possible. And we also, uh, you know, we have a deep history in location-based services. So, so we, uh, we do all the location-based geolocation of the calling device. And in fact, I think over 60% of all 911 calls uh, sourced in, in North America from a mobile device are handled uh, by Comtech. Uh, we geolocate the calling device, uh, and, and when then we service the call, handle the call, and, and all of that. So our business uh, uh, was largely built by acquisition. So we have all the different parts of the workflow and the and the block diagram or the ecosystem in ground satellite communications as well as as nine one one public safety. So that that's the core of our business. Uh, but but I'll tell you, the markets are changing a lot. These businesses are coming together, uh, you know, and, and so we're doing some transformational things at Comtech. Uh, to position us even more effectively uh, going forward, addressing some of the market convergences and technology inflections that are uh, that we're just in the midst of. And and just before we we move on to talk about that, what about Comtech's people? I mean, how many people <laughs> are employed by Comtech? You've got fourteen different entities that have been acquired by Comtech. You know, what's the depth and breadth of 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 your team? It's a fantastic team, um, and uh, um, we are we have on the order of two thousand employees. Okay, we're spread across. Like I said, we're in forty of the fifty states. We're in. Uh, uh, we have a, a, a national and a, and a global presence. Uh, we're in a number of foreign countries. Uh, we have a presence uh, in, in India, in the UK, and a variety of other places. Uh, and uh, so we are uh, we are a diverse, geographically dispersed uh, uh, enterprise, uh, uh, and uh, and we are now uh, bringing it all together. Uh, as one Comtech, uh, largely because the market is moving. It doesn't. The market doesn't want to buy a modem so much anymore. The modem wants modem. Want, the customers want to uh, us to create more comprehensive customer value. So we're moving in that way. And this is uh, the the things that are undergoing at Comtech. You know, I have. Uh, a little bit of experience. We mentioned forty plus years. Thank you. We can, we can do it. It's nice to put a number on it. <laughs> You're the one who said when you actually graduated from engineering school, yeah, so you I, added yeah. yourself there. I did. I did. Um, I'm kind of authentic that way most of the time. But uh, you know, I, I I did work for a handful of different aerospace and defense companies, uh, and in the beginning, it was largely in the defense sector. Uh, but then, you know, the technology leadership that was born and invented in the defense sector 
that technology leadership was was uh, embraced by the private sector, uh, and we saw private companies that were well funded uh, move much more agilely and aggressively, fund uh, technology trajectories at a much more accelerated pace, uh, and and so we, so we saw the technology leadership move to the private sector. So I moved to the private sector kind of with it uh, after leading uh, uh, ITT Communications and Electronic Warfare, being the president there of a billion dollar business, three thousand people, fifteen different locations. Uh, in the U.S., uh, I moved uh, ultimately to Viasat, which was much more commercially focused, and I led the defense business of Viasat uh, through, through an enormous period of growth. We had a great team, but we started to take advantage of this technology leadership that was in the private sector and move entrepreneurially. In fact, we taught our business to be entrepreneurial because, in large degree, uh, the defense customer had lost sight of where actual technology state-of-the-art was and how fast it was moving. So instead of trying to sell them a box uh, or, or something, we, we, we moved to, to provide them a capability, okay, and the cap- capability delighted them. Uh, and so we were, I think we were designated Viasat, I was there nine years, and in the last six years, Defense News cited Viasat's government business as the fastest growing defense company in the United States. We moved from outside the top 100 to inside the top 30 in about six or seven years. So it was a remarkable learning experience for me. I, and, and now when we, co- we talk about ComTech, uh, you know, we, we bring that experience to ComTech in terms of bringing together uh, these, what were originally 14 siloed businesses, uh, bringing them together to behave as one ComTech so that we can bring these technologies that exist across our entire enterprise and package them together. You know, you could think of those technologies as uh, building blocks or let's, let's say Legos of different sizes, shapes, and colors. Uh, and, and we bring those together now and we can assemble them together and work collaboratively with customers to bring customers a more comprehensive value proposition, something that, uh, that they're asking for and they need, uh, but something that we can uniquely do because, the, uh, because of the strength of our enterprise uh, technologies. So it's been a, it's been a, it's what we're doing at Comtech really remarkable. You know, I understand that since becoming president and CEO, that you visited every Comtech facility and initiated, you know, what you were just explaining is a substantial restructuring. And while I can hear eyes rolling with, oh, there, you know, here we go again, another company's restructuring. But I don't think people understand what an important decision that is to make or how hard it is to actually do to implement and achieve, you know, the desired goals. So could you walk us through the why, the target goal, and how did you get the restructuring going? And, and, and it's completed by now, if I, if I understand correctly. Well, or maybe um, not. Let's see. Uh, at the date, at the date of this podcast, Lori, I'm, uh, Lori, I'm just approaching uh, my first full year as uh, chairman, president, and CEO at Comtech, and and it has been uh, an exhausting and yet enlightening and remarkable year. Um, I did start. Uh, you know, we had, uh, uh, like you say, we had we had 14 siloed businesses, uh, and in the first week of of my tenure. I invited each of the businesses uh, to come to headquarters, and we spent two days together walking through, getting to know each other, and walking through uh, each of the strategic financial plans, the technology roadmaps, the competitive landscape, so that we could kind of understand the business. And we spent two full days doing that. But I'll tell you, the first 10 minutes was the most enlightening, because when I walked in the room, uh, I saw... 30 people or 35 people in that room that had come from these different businesses and they were introducing themselves to each other and meeting for the very first time. Okay. And I thought, all right, 
this is a good first step because clearly, clearly we need to get to know each other and understand our left hand needs to understand what our right hand is doing and so uh, and how we can collaborate together more effectively. So, uh, so uh, yes, I did. I went on a uh, about a four and a half or five week tour. I visited every significant location. Uh, and we started with a with a one-on-one -on -one with the site executive uh, in their conference room, and it generally involved going to the whiteboard and actually uh, sketching up the business that they run, the competitive landscape, the path, the trajectory, the business trajectory they're on, the technology uh, inflections, the market dynamics that are going on in their world, and we put that all on the whiteboard, and then we broke. We did that from say nine to eleven in the morning. Then we then we had an all hands meeting with every employee, uh, and we uh, we uh, we spoke about uh, our vision for the company. We spoke about uh, we took their questions, uh, and generally that lasted about an hour, hour and a half. Then we went back to that uh, site executive's conference room. This time with with their direct leadership team of maybe ten or twelve people, and we went back to the whiteboard. And it was very interesting to say, okay, so now how do you all see this? And uh, and this is what I talked about with your site executive. What are your perspectives? And what do you think we need to do differently? And where's the untapped opportunity? And by the way, what's holding you back? What 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 can we unleash in terms of energy and technology and, and engage more effectively? And so I did that for five or six weeks. And and really that that process. Uh, uh, and you know what? The other thing I found is I visited some of these sites and find out I found out that no CEO from Comtech had ever been there before. Okay, uh, and and a remarkably high number of them told me that, and I thought, okay, well, that that's not Ken Peterman's leadership style. Okay, uh, so so uh, I found that to be really enjoyable, really enlightening. Uh, there's a lot of challenges, but it really brought things into perspective. And then uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm still uh, uh, I don't spend much time in our headquarters building. I find that when I talk to Mike Bondi, our CFO. The numbers are going to be the same, whether I'm face to face or whether I'm on the phone. So there's really not a lot of value in that. But there's enormous value of me being on site in the midst of our people, engaged with our customers directly, engaged with uh, with our partners and uh, uh, teammates, uh, uh, because I, because of the better understanding I have, the better, the more effectively uh, I can lead this organization. It's a and 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 uh, it's a you know, it is a daunting responsibility when you think that you're responsible uh, for the jobs, the livelihood. Of, of a couple thousand people uh, and the fact that they, you know, it's the decisions we make every day that preserves their ability to make their mortgage payments, send their kids to college uh, and, and really also advance themselves professionally and, and have opportunities to grow and develop in that way. So it's a something that does keep you awake at night, makes you, it's a very serious responsibility, but it's also uh, enormously gratifying to be surrounded by such people that are talented and passionate and, uh, and to be a part of it, be a part of it. Now, I'd like to turn to what I find is Comtech's most intriguing offering, and the audience has to forgive me for a moment because it may not have the biggest space angle, but it is interesting, and that's the Troposcatter. And Comtech, through a partnership with Fairwinds Technologies, just received a $30 million contract from the U.S. Army. So what is that? <laughs> well... Troposcatter is a, is a very interesting technology, um, and I'm going to touch on it, but I'm going to go back and say that the Army position is something that, uh, that is really significant and strategic for our company, uh, the Army position that we've, that we've just captured. But um, Troposcatter is, um, is sort of like satellite communications in the sense that with satellite communications, remember, you take a, you take a dish antenna and you point it at a satellite in the sky, you have to aim it very precisely. Uh, and, and what you really think of it as, it's almost like firing a precision high-powered rifle and trying to get that bullet 
to hit the satellite and bounce back. That's the kind of communication challenge that you have. And everything's uh, moving very, very fast. <laughs> yes, it can be. And so, uh, and so satellite communications is like that. Now, I will tell you that troposcatter uh, is sort of like bookends or it complements that. You take a satellite dish, but instead of pointing it up you, vertically, you point it horizontally, okay? And instead of firing a precision rifle shot, you're firing a shotgun with a scattered signal that bounces off different parts of the atmosphere and then comes back together uh, at the receiving uh, uh, antenna that's on the ground maybe 500 kilometers away, okay? And and the interesting thing about troposcatter is uh, you're able to get significant data rates, 200 megabits per second or so, uh, and it also... Uh, uh, because you're, you're sending the scattered signal that bounces off everything, um, uh, it has a tendency to work in environments when satellite communications does not. So taking advantage, we, some of us have uh, satellite uh, dishes on our home and we use it to watch TV and things like that, movies. Um, you'll know that in a very heavy rainstorm, uh, your satellite uh, connectivity can be disrupted because all those water droplets uh, become an impediment, uh, an interference to that, to that rifle shot you're trying to get to the satellite and get back. Now, troposcatter, troposcatter loves raindrops because it's more things to bounce off of, okay? So what happens is we're finding troposcatter to be a natural complement to satellite communications so that if you have, say, in a military environment, if you have two forward operating bases that are uh, two, three, you know, 200 miles apart, okay, the satellite link is handy uh, and it works most of the time. But it can be jammed. It can be cyber attacked. There's a variety of different things that can happen. And in, in, in monsoon rain or something like that, that satellite connectivity can be disrupted. So a companion activity that, that, that provides troposcatter along the surface of the Earth that thrives in environment conditions where the satellite can be disrupted is a natural complement. And people are seeing the value of that, both in military uh, applications as well as commercial applications, where it can be a, a vibrant, resilient, and robust backbone in a hurricane environment uh, where, 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 for example, other means of communications are disrupted or, or fail. So, so we're very excited. Now, we, we've been selling troposcatter maybe for uh, a dozen years, uh, but it is a, a, a spread spectrum type of technology, uh, and it's really finding itself now uh, because uh, of its natural uh, companion uh, augmentation to satellite communications. So we had won uh, a number of contracts with the Marine Corps uh, and other U.S. services. We had won international positions. Our equipment was deployed in the Ukraine and found uh, it to be very effective there. And I'll tell you, there is not a better marketing uh, person in the world than a uniformed soldier who's using your equipment against a peer or a, or a first-tier adversary and, and, and says, this stuff works, okay, this stuff, uh, and, that, and that become, that, that's something that uh, we got a lot of value of. So, yes, we, uh, we uh, recently then uh, won a contract that was that where effectively it was a sole source opportunity where they specified the part number of our troposcatter gear that they wanted to buy, and we, we, uh, we channeled that through a small business, uh, and, uh, and we, it was a, yes, it was a... Uh, $30 million contract for around 50 systems, and we believe we're very excited about it because the uh, uh, the Army had originally palmed in their budget uh, in 2019 over $600 million to field triple scatter equipment, uh, and they've used very little of that money. So so we see uh, we see enormous opportunity there to deploy these systems. And it also, uh, so, so we're now the only, uh, we're the global leader in triple scatter, and really, really the, the, the 
far and away uh, a leader in that in that regard. So we're very excited about that. But going back to Comtech and our transformation, one of the reasons we have that contract is because when we brought our businesses together, our 14 siloed businesses, uh, we brought them together in two segments. One is satellite and space, communications vertically. The other is terrestrial and wireless, communications this way. And we started by bringing our businesses together that way, and that enabled us to, to uh, collaborate more effectively. It enabled us to identify redundancy and, and, and ways to, be, to accelerate decision-making. It enabled us to bring customers more comprehensive value because we could put two plus two together and bring a customer a four or five uh, uh, attribute uh, uh, system that created more value for them. So, so it was very powerful in that regard. Uh, but the other thing it does is enables us uh, to stretch into markets uh, uh, that we couldn't stretch in before uh, as an individual box provider. So now we're looking at leveraging our location-based services uh, outside the public safety vertical and using it to, to, uh, uh, for smart manufacturing, uh, smart logistics, smart cities, uh, smart agriculture. All of these things utilize location-based services, and some of our other businesses are able to pull that location-based technology forward. Going back to Tropo, we're finding that some of our uh, uh, non-DOD businesses are pulling Tropo Scatter into commercial uh, applications, like the ones we talked about, where they can provide uh, communications in a in a hurricane or other natural disaster, where the traditional uh, uh, communications capabilities are disrupted. And in fact, one of the things we did was we established our first devil people strategy, so that we'd look across the organization and leverage people across the organization more effectively. We established an innovation foundry that we call Evoke, where we can put all our enterprise-wide technologies together in one place and experience, uh, experiment with packaging them in unique and different ways so we could create capabilities that, that we couldn't do by the individual businesses or the individual silos. We began to have collaborative customer workshops where we were engaged in a two-day event with a customer. And they loved the comprehensive value that we could now bring, but then they would say, uh, well, can you also do this? Can you add data processing analytics? Can you add uh, distributed ledger, blockchain, security technology? Can you do, can you do uh, network orchestration? And so we started to identify uh, technology partners uh, that could come into our Evoke Innovation Foundry and rapidly and quickly blend their technology with ours so that we could address these customer requests that wanted us to upsell or upscale the comprehensive value proposition that we could come to them as contact. But now, now we, uh, we, uh, we uh, brought more to that. So, so, you know, you can think of that as uh, uh, upselling further and being responsive to customers and, and, uh, and, and being responsive to that customer pull uh, to, to go even farther. So all of those things are, uh, all of those things are a benefit of our, of our one contract transformation. Now, from reading a lot of the literature surrounding Troposcatter and, and also literature from a lot of other companies, a lot of you guys like to use the word seamless or seamlessly and also the word evolve when talking about, you know, your space tech of whatever flavor. But it all seems a bit opaque from the outside and it's got to be easier said than done. I wanted to understand what do these words, as in seamless and evolve actually mean to you? Well, if you think of this, um, first of all, we, we tend to look at the world through our engineering lens because we're engineers, or we tend to look at the world through the lens of our product catalog of what we're trying to sell. Okay. And, and, uh, uh I've been uh, a little bit of a rebel most of my career doing things differently, uh, than others would. So it comes quite natural for me. Okay. To, uh, 
to 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 reverse that. Let's look at let's look at the problem through the customer lens. Okay, if you think of a uh, and and in fact I had a I, I love a quote by the founding uh, uh, general of the space force, General J. Raymond, uh, the chief of the space force. He said one time we were talking about Leo, Mio, and Geo communications, uh, and he said I believe he said something that's really stuck with me. He said he said uh, we have to escape the tyranny of the or and embrace the genius of the and, okay? Uh, and so, uh, again, going back to my looking at this through the user subscriber's lens, the thing I was talking with him about when, when that statement emerged, which I think is so brilliant, uh, the thing I was talking about is, is what a customer wants uh, uh, from, from a home or business satellite connection. Uh, they're going to run multiple apps simultaneously. Okay, uh, in the in the living room, mom and dad are watching a Netflix movie. Uh, in the bedroom, uh, the teenager is playing uh, uh, online games. Okay, and there might be a variety of other applications involving security cameras or whatever else might be going on. But the parents watching the movie, they want the benefits. They want the performance envelope of a geostationary satellite with its high capacity uh, and economics. Okay, what that what that. Uh, adolescent in the in the in the bedroom doing the online gaming once is extremely low latency because low latency is, is so critical in an online gaming application. So the fact is, what the customer wants is a hybrid connectivity uh, that 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 automatically routes uh, the uh, applications that require low latency over a Leo satellite uh, and automatically uh, uh, when when an app requires high capacity it automatically routes that over a geo that's what the customer wants okay uh, and and frankly the customer is getting that today in your mobile phone your mobile phone has multiple connectivity options you have Bluetooth you have Wi-Fi you have cellular and in fact with direct to device now you can have a Leo satellite connection and there is a decision engine an intelligent decision engine in your phone that makes the decision for you. It knows to route the Bluetooth apps over Bluetooth, the Wi-Fi over the Wi-Fi, the cellular over the cellular. It does all that for you so that you don't have to be involved in that decision making as a, as a user. You just have to open the app and, uh, and stream video or do or, or operate GPS or do whatever you want to do. And, and so when I talk about seem and, and you know, I was an advocate of hybrid connectivity back in 2015 and 2016 and had a number of conversations um, with, with senior leaders as the Space Force was being formed uh, along those lines. And in fact, I was really flattered one time by uh, uh, getting a call to my office and being invited to a dinner uh, with a, I won't name the, the, with a four-star and a three-star general. And uh, 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 my, oh, my- shame on you for not naming them. Let me tell you this. The, my executive assistant came in my office and said, I just had a very strange conversation because I asked them if, if Ken should bring uh, a technical expert with them to be able to speak uh, to the techno to the technology and they said oh no no they said oh, you know you please you don't understand this meeting is not with Ken Peterman the president of company X this meeting is with Ken Peterman the thought leader please don't put this on his calendar this is just because we want to have a dialogue about where the market's going where the technology and I was so flattered that, 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 that they looked at it that way because it gave me the opportunity to have a much much more um, thoughtful and and uh, discussion that didn't involve the company, didn't involve selling anything, just talked about where things are going and how to keep our young men and women in uniform uh, safer uh, and more more empowered, uh, uh, leveraging commercial technologies in innovative ways. And so uh, so in, in, in that's when I think of seamless uh, connectivity, uh, I think of what the these disparate ecosystems 
that in the beginning of my career were completely different, okay? Terrestrial networks were led by companies like Verizon and Comcast and AT&T, okay? Satellite networks were led by companies like Inmarsat and Intelsat and Utilsat, uh, and, uh, and these were very different ecosystems, okay? Uh, another two, uh, and now we're seeing those ecosystems converge. As we move from 3G to 4G to 5G and into 6G, we just saw that a uh, partnership was announced between 3GPP, the, uh, the body that is uh, driving the definition of 5G and moving to 6G, and we, that partnership is with the European Space Agency. So they're looking now at 6G in the context of a, a waveform and a capability that stretches seamlessly across terrestrial and non-terrestrial or satellite networks, okay? And so we're seeing a convergence of space and terrestrial. We're seeing a convergence of, of I believe, satellite uh, communications ecosystems and electro-optical geospatial communication systems. These used to be completely different ecosystems. The companies that fielded satellites that performed communications were very different than the companies that fielded satellites that did geospatial and Earth observation. But I think what we're going to see is we're going to see that uh, uh, when companies put up a 20 or 30,000 satellite constellation at low Earth orbit, I think we're going to start to see a blended capability of ge geospatial as well as communications. And one of the reasons is they're responding to this, to this user-subscriber need that says, look, I don't need the raw data. What I want is I want the insight that can be derived from that data. And so uh, uh, you're seeing that geospatial data, uh, instead of just seeing the imagery, uh, the, the customer wants the imagery processed. And they want the customer, uh, they want the process data to be to be translated into insights that can immediately get to that customer so they can be they can make trust that data to, to make actionable decisions. OK, I'll give you a simple example. Early in my career, uh, soldiers loved to see uh, streaming video of what was on the other side of the hill. So maybe they could see what the adversary was doing. And I'll convert that to a to a to a to an analogy in commercial life of GPS. Okay, we loved it when GPS went in our cars because we could type in a destination and we could uh, we get an ETA and it would route us through the most efficient route to get there. And that was pretty good. Then it got augmented where uh, if there was a crash ahead and traffic was congested, your GPS would alert you. Okay. Uh, now, I didn't need to see streaming image, streaming video from overhead imagery of a crash. I don't need to see what that looks like. I just need to know what is the insight? What do I do about it? Okay. And so GPS then began to give us alternative routing and said, look, we can preserve your ETA, but you have to get off at this exit. You have to take an alternate route to go around the congestion. Okay, fine. That was, that was a first order insight. The second order insight is if all the cars that have GPS are being rerouted onto the same path, You've just moved the congestion from the crash site to the alternate path. So the fact is the guidance that we get through GPS ways or those kinds of apps need to be sophisticated enough to route all the cars through dispersed alternate routes so that we don't just move the congestion. We actually overcome the congestion and preserve the customer experience and the customer's ETA. So, so what we're moving toward is blended ecosystems where comms, satellite communications, and satellite geospatial come together. We're going to see blended uh, space and terrestrial communications. We're going to see hybrid networks of LEO, MEO, and GEO, where, where your user terminal makes a decision to route uh, apps over the right network. Uh, and so networks, look, networks, I, I've been in the data transport business much of my life, and it used to be uh, just dumb pipes, okay? Get it to the satellite and get it back, okay? And I think now we're moving towards smart networks that leverage 
the inherent data and information that's in the network to, to provide real-time insights to customers, insights to a farmer, insights to a fireman, insights to a logistics planner moving, moving logistics across, across uh, 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 different geographies. And so I think that these, uh, and, and frankly, that all gets back to the transformation of Comtech is, is uh, to take advantage of what the customer, take advantage of the market dynamics, take advantage of these technology inflections, take advantage of these convergences of these disparate network ecosystems to put ourselves in a position where we can give our customers what they need, what they're asking for, a more comprehensive value proposition that is more insights at the edge rather than just dumb data transport. We have to bring our company together. We have to elevate the, the way that we, that we think about our customers and think about the value that we can create for them. Uh, and we can only do that together uh, as an enterprise. Uh, and then we're going to move toward business models that don't involve uh, the transactional sale of a component like a modem or, a, uh, or an amplifier. We're going to move toward business models that, uh, that calculate the value creation uh, for a customer uh, and then monetize that value creation in innovative ways. Okay, so we're going to be innovating business models just as, as much as we're innovating the technology as we go forward. So bringing our Comtech organization together enables us to do that. So it's, it, it's an exciting time. The industry's moving faster than it's ever moved before, uh, and, uh, uh, and I know you see it. Well, let's just take that a little bit further, and, and, and what you're talking about convergence and new business models and the value. You've also uh, just inked a deal in June with eSpace, which is a space and internet of things company. And internet of things, just for the audience, can also be referred to as IoT. Is that partnership driven by a demand signal you're seeing from your defense customers, the commercial sector, or is it something that you see as something that's coming soon? Well, first of all, uh, Greg Ryler is such an exciting individual, uh, the founder of eSpace. You know, before he founded eSpace, he founded O3B, uh, and, then he founded, and then he founded OneWeb. Okay, so he has a track record of doing really innovative things, looking at the world differently, uh, creating technology solutions that come at the problem from a different angle, from a different side. And so, yes, largely that's what you're seeing here. Uh, eSpace is looking at uh, uh, 5G, 6G technologies and, and, and applying those uh, across a space ecosystem in really innovative ways. The partnership that we have with them uh, uh, seeks to apply uh, that technology to some very diverse use cases that Comtech is in the middle of. We have strong incumbent positions in oh, everything. Give us from, an example, though. Well, what, is they, that, what does that mean? Because it, the thing is, is that, you know, when we, we, we talk about these different things, I'd like to be able to give the listener a, a picture in their mind. What, how is that? What is that thing that it's doing? Well, uh, we believe we can demonstrate, uh, for example, how to ship packages more effectively, to designate whether the package has experienced uh, cold temperature shock or some other disruptive event. We can verify uh, the, uh, the genuineness, the authenticity of the package, because for example, this is, you know, there's a billion dollar industry in counterfeit. And that's wine. a really, yeah, that's a really big deal yeah. in yeah. Um, supply chain and definitely in the space sector. Sure. So, th so think of, uh, think of uh, uh, wine manufacturing. Uh, we can use a, a, a technology like Greg is inventing to create smart vineyards that measure 
uh, uh, temperature, soil acidity, uh, moisture, all kinds of different parameters that matter to the, to the winemaker, that matter to the sommelier. Uh, and we can measure those and then we can precision uh, uh, irrigate. Uh, we, can, uh, uh, we can address each part of the vineyard in a unique way that, that, and then use data processing analytics to try to drive that wine uh, 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 crop to a point where we believe it'll deliver a 98 or a 99 wine because data processing analytics can be predictive and provide insight to the winemaker to do that. Okay, then once the wine is bottled and shipped, uh, Greg's technology uh, at eSpace enables you to, to track it, uh, to know every step of the way, the time duration and everything so that when that wine gets to the customer, we can authenticate that, that that is genuinely wine from this vineyard and it's not a counterfeit wine of some kind because we were able to track it all. And we just use distributed ledger and blockchain technology as a part of that. We use data processing analytics as a part of that. We use our location-based services as a part of that. Uh, and we use our satellite communication as a part of that. So this is an example where we demonstrated using our Evoke Innovation Foundry, the bringing together of these various disparate technologies in a way that creates customer value that we couldn't create before. And, and, you know, the customer can't architect this themselves. We have to see their problem and understand their problem. We have to sit in their chair and, and live in their world. And then we can say, wow, we can put technology to work for you in an innovative way. And I'll tell you what, if, uh, if we can move, so let's take wine, if we can move wine from an, from an 88 uh, score to a 96 or a 99 score, that wine bottle, uh, instead of selling for $12, might sell for $100, okay? So the value creation in smart agriculture has that kind of potential. And so that's what that's, uh, that we're trying to create the value, calculate the value in a customer currency, and then develop business models that incentivize both us and that customer to drive that value creation uh, uh, as effectively as possible, because then we both win. Okay. And so that's, you know, so, so the eSpace partnership is, is, is an exciting one. It's one of the ways we're thinking differently, bringing our ComTech technologies together to create more comprehensive customer value in innovative ways. Is there a defense-centered offering that's going to come out of this partnership? There absolutely will be. We're working with uh, organizations that like to exploit commercial capabilities. They like to exploit it in innovative ways. They like the speed at which it can be deployed. They like the fact that we can deliver it as a service. It certainly uh, involves uh, defense and, uh, and logistics, uh, shipping goods and material, but it involves way more than that, Laura. And uh, um, um, the customers are very excited about it, but I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give you uh, more on that right now. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll just have to check back with you later and see if I can somehow get it out of you then. It's um, been a passion of mine. It's been a passion of mine for 30 or 40 years to make our sons and daughters in uniform who adorn themselves in the cloth of this nation and serve to make them as safe uh, as possible and, if, uh, and, and have them come home uh, to their mamas uh, safe and sound. And so uh, certainly this has applications in that domain and I'm passionate about it. I still want to keep you focused on the future, but going a bit further out and not just a bit further out, I actually mean way out. You know that Nokia has a contract with NASA to provide 4G communications um, services on the moon, voice, text, video, the ability to control a moon rover and call all the way home if need be. The components of this program are set to launch sometime this year, but what about Comtech? 
you know, it's been reported that Space Force is already thinking about operations in the cislunar region of space, mostly because of the anticipated commercial activity and, you know, geopolitical frictions that might bubble up there and threaten, you know, civil and commercial operations and activities. So, yeah, again, what about Comtech? Are you guys thinking that far out as well? Um, well, you know, I started out as an engineer, but uh, but shortly thereafter, I, I found my place as an imagineer. Okay, and the moon is a place where imagineering um, comes into play. But uh, um, look, uh, we already know uh, that we can create things in a non-gravity, anti-gravity environment that we can't create at home. Whether that's biomedical, whether that's uh, uh, manufacturing, uh, we we see the opportunity, and, and others do too. Um, we see the opportunity for for uh, precious metals and mining on asteroids and and uh, and uh, other other bodies in space. Uh, we see, we, you know, all of this. All of this is uh, fascinating, uh, and it's enormous opportunity. It's enormous opportunity financially, and from a business perspective, it's an enormous opportunity to make the world and the human race, and human condition, a better place. Okay, or finding a better way. So, so yes, we do have our eye on that. We're very much engaged in that. We think that. Uh, we think that what, what, what are those what are those folks going to need that do that? They're going to need communications. They're going to need location-based services. They're going to need all the kinds of things that we provide. So we think we are well positioned when the time is right uh, to engage in that, enter that market in a in a meaningful way, uh, and to be and to provide capabilities that that we that frankly others cannot. And as I've said before. You've and you've said you have decades of experience in space, communications, and defense. You've led teams, you've led companies. But what I want to know is what sparks the fire of that imagineer that you're describing? You know, what drives you? Um, my passion can be triggered. Uh, in an instant, okay, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a spoken word, in something I see on a whiteboard, uh, frankly, it can be triggered in a, a number of ways, and, and that's very exciting to me. It's kind of what lives me, it, it, what, what, it's what drives me, uh, it's kind of what I live for. I'll give you a simple example. I was very young in my career, 28, 29 years old. Um, I was at, you know, companies used to have picnics then. I was at our company picnic. And, and uh, we structured the picnic where we did games. Uh, and one of the games we did was where they had like 30 teams. And I was working with three or four of the people that, that were in my organization. I was a section leader at the time. And three or four people were there. And we had a little team. And they gave us a grocery bag. And it had a bunch of office supplies in it. It had a poster board, a rubber band, some paper clips, you know, stuff like that. It also had a propeller, okay? And really high-tech stuff. Yeah, really high-tech stuff. This is the kind of dumb things we did 30, 40 years ago. But uh, so so, so um, they, they said, here's the rules. There's two rules. One is you get five minutes uh, to, to build a, 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 a platform. And, and the second thing is uh, that you have to use absolutely everything in the bank. You can't leave any, anything out, okay? Uh, and the objective of the game will see whose platform can fly the farthest, okay? Uh, and so... Listen, there's 30 teams. I'm looking up and down the row, and everybody's doing the same thing. They're, they're folding the, part, the poster board like a paper airplane. They're putting the propeller in front, stretching the rubber band back, sticking a thumbtack in the back. And, 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 you know, and I'm looking at this saying, this is silly. Um, and, and I'm thinking this little bitty propeller is not going to pull this big piece of poster board very far. I can't imagine it's going to fly more than 10 feet. And I had on my team a, a guy that was the center fielder on our softball team. And his name was Jimmy. And I pulled him aside. I said, Jimmy, we're at about minute two of our five minutes. And I said, Jimmy, I said, listen, how far can you throw a softball? 
He says, oh, I can throw a softball 100 yards, maybe 100, you know, maybe long, maybe farther. And I said, what if we didn't build an airplane like everybody else? What if we took this paper poster board and we just wadded it up and we stuck everything inside and we wrapped the masking tape around it and we just made a rock? We made something that was a softball. I said, how far, how far could you throw that thing? He says, I can throw that thing a long way. And so I huddled up the team and I said, change in plan, build a ball. And then and, and, uh, Jimmy threw it, it was fantastic. We made a ball, and, uh, uh, and then I went over to the judges, and I said, we'd like to go last. So we did. Everybody threw their little airplane 10 feet, and we threw our, our, uh, our wadded-up ball about uh, 100 yards and uh, won. And, of course, everybody else protested that we didn't follow the rules, but the fact is we did follow the rules. The interesting thing is um, about 20 minutes later, the CEO of the company walked over to our little team and said, uh, nice work winning the contest. Wh whose idea was it? And they all said, his. <laughs> I think that, and, uh, uh, and uh, that was a kind of game changer for me. I, I found myself, the CEO began to apply me into situations that needed innovative thought and needed somebody to attack the problem from a different way. And, and so that's something that, uh, uh, an example maybe where I got, got inspired to do something a little differently than, than the status quo. Ken, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Laura. I've enjoyed it very much. You're, you're, you're wonderful to spend some time with, and uh, uh, it's been fun. That's it for this week. If you like what you're hearing, follow the downlink on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. For the latest defense news and analysis, listen to the Daily Defense and Aerospace Report podcast hosted by Vago Maradian and listen to Cavish Ships to hear the latest on what's happening in the maritime domain. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening.